Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with my cousin, Mercedes Bent, who is a partner um, at a VC firm called Lightspeed, and she shared with us a lot of great insights around her role as a as a woman, an African-American woman, making those opportunities in the world of VC. Um, we talked a bit about Black Lives Matter and um, how that exists and, and has changed in, in the world of coronavirus, and also uh, shared our thoughts and feelings around the loss of uh, Chadwick Boseman, a wonderful actor and human being. Um, so please stay tuned, and thanks for listening. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and thank you for joining us. Today I have uh, a wonderful guest who I've known pretty much all of our lives and uh, is my cousin, Mercedes Bent. How are you doing, Mercedes? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me on here, cousin. <laughs> it's so weird to like introduce you. I'm like, this is Merce. It's just, we've known each other for forever, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so maybe um, to start us off, we can, um, so just to kind of, for the listeners, where we're going to go, hopefully, in this conversation. Um, so Marcia will talk a little bit about herself, give you all a little background on her, what she does, sort of she from the professional aspects, and we'll talk a little bit about what it's like being an African-American woman in that space, um, give any tips for people breaking into the venture capital or VC um, world, and then talk a little bit about, you know, Black Lives Matter and kind of where things are, managing the grief with all the different um, police brutality and killings and things. And then also we'll talk about the loss of um, New Giant, I would say, in our in our world of Chadwick Boseman and kind of how that how we're dealing with processing that. So hopefully it's a little bit heavier of a podcast, but I think it's important to talk about and, and things to kind of kind of discuss for sure. Mm-hmm. So Merce, yeah, maybe you can kind of give the folks a little background on yourself and um, what you do and a little bit around that. Sure. Yeah. I'm a venture capitalist or a VC. And essentially what that means I do is I give businesses, startups, really early stage companies money so that they can grow and, you know, hire people, do marketing campaigns, all of that stuff. And it's a role that I just started in the last few years that prior to this, I worked in corporate finance and I worked in startups as an operator for several years. So in some ways, it's a combination of those two prior life experiences. But really, it was when I was working at startups, I worked at a company called General Assembly that I first started to become aware of VC and the power of the capital to really help grow and launch these entrepreneurs' ideas. And so I was, you know, in New York City, and this was in the mid-2010s, looking around, and I just kind of noticed that a lot of the companies getting funded were were not started by people that looked like me. There weren't very many females. There weren't very many people of color getting funded. And so, you know, even this was five, six years ago, I, I started thinking about, how do you change that? How do you be part of, you know, having a more equitable and, and equal footing of the number of people who can get in 
and grow, get capital to grow their businesses. So I decided to be part of that change. And, you know, now six years later, I'm a venture capitalist giving people money to grow their businesses. And I hope that, you know, by having this lens of wanting to see more people of color, more women, more underrepresented groups funded, that I can be part of that change. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool to kind of have that opportunity to influence so much. Not not everyone um, can do that, right? So using your skills that you've acquired um, to really open up those doors for a lot of folks is really great. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so what is it like as a woman, and especially as an African-American woman, um, working in this VC slash tech kind of space, do you see a lot of challenges you run through, run into or or not so much or somewhere kind of in between? You know, people ask me this and in some ways, you know, it's it's one of those things where I have been in spaces where I am the only woman or the only minority for so many years now that I'm not entirely sure I notice, um, you know, sometimes when things are happening. And and also when you, when I think about it too, it's, I think it's kind of just normal. And that's kind of where I expect, what I expect is that there won't be very many others like me, unfortunately, in many spaces I go into, whether that's working in corporate finance or working at a high growth startup or working in venture capital Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there's also this issue of, uh, you know, con- there's a conflation of your different identities, the intersectionality. I don't always necessarily know if the reason sometimes when I suspect that I may be being left out for something, is it because I'm being left out because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm being left out of, you know, because I'm a person of color? Um, there's times where, you know, all everybody on the team and the clients went to a baseball game and I wasn't invited. and you know, you kind of wonder why that was. And you're like, oh, the other people who are at the same level as me got invited. But then you just kind of, you know, I, I don't find it super productive to dwell on that too much. So in some ways to answer your question, yes, I do think it's a very real impact and a, and a very much so has probably affected my careers in ways that I can't fully understand. But on the other hand, I am much more about let's just make it a non-issue by putting as many people in the pipeline and changing the face of these spaces as fast as possible. And so I spend a lot more of my time kind of thinking about that than necessarily maybe what might have happened and affected me. Right. Absolutely. Makes sense. Um, So what do you have? So you mentioned that you're it's very common for you to um, be in situations, um, especially in the world of VC, um, where there aren't a lot of people who look like you. So if someone, whether they be a woman or a person of color, um, who's looking like maybe that's something I want to do. Maybe they're currently like in your similar path where where they were working in finance and thinking that would be something that interests them or just already have a, a passion even prior to that in the world of VC. What are your tips for them to kind of get engaged in that world um, to maybe become a part of it so that they can grow in that space? And that, as you mentioned, adding more people um, of diverse um, backgrounds, both visible diversity and diversity of thought. Yeah, I com- I completely agree. I think we need so many more 
different, you know, types of diverse people working at venture capital. Because one of the things is if you don't have diverse investors being the ones that decide where how capital gets deployed, then it's also less likely that you'll have diverse founders getting funded. We've seen all the studies that say, you know, something like if a if a male investor has a daughter, he's 21 or 22% more likely to invest in a female founder or to hire a female investor at his firm. And if a woman is an investor, she's twice as likely to invest in a female founder. And so we know that that representation works for women and it definitely works for other underrepresented groups as well. So I do think a lot about you know, this, this question and topic and then the weight of the importance of it is so large. I mean, on top of that, a lot of venture funds have shown that their female founders have produced much higher returns for their portfolio, for their investors than the re- than their, their male founders as a class. And so you kind of wow. wonder, you're like, okay, if this business case is super clear, let alone why, you know, we want to do it from a maybe morality or equality standpoint, then like, why aren't we doing it? So I, I, I sorry, I always go on a rant about this stuff, but <laughs> in terms no of worries, any, no worries. the advice, you know, what do I say to people who are looking to get into venture capital? Like venture capital is very much so an industry of relationships and kind of who do you know, which historically has made it very difficult for people to break into if they don't know anyone in that field. So in a lot of ways, though, it what you need to do to break into venture capital is the same thing that you need to do in order to be good at the role, which is you have to create relationships and you have to create access to people who are hard to reach. That's my role as an investor. I'm constantly trying to find founders who are working on something amazing and cool and great. And guess what? Everybody else wants to get in touch with them too. And they have a whole business, you know, life to do. They don't necessarily want to be talking to investors all day. So I have to think about how do I create access to that founder? How do I become relevant? And, and I think that it's actually a skill that can be learned. And so I always encourage people, if you want to get into venture and if you don't know anybody in venture, create access. Go to VCs, email them, say that you have spaces that you're interested in, that you have a thesis about investing, that there's some companies you found that are really intriguing that align with that investor's thesis and their investment focus. Because guess what? If I get an email from someone out of the blue who I've never met, and it seems like they've done research, and it seems like they've kind of read up on what I invest in, and they actually have, and they want to help me they want to give me some companies to look at, I'm like, uh, sure, I'll, I'll take a look at them. And even more so if they have, you know, really unique insights or thoughts about the market, then I'm also like, guess what? I want to talk to you. Um, so I've actually, there was a, there was a gentleman who did this with me recently. He was from Alabama and, uh, I, I don't believe based on our phone call that he really had too many connections to the Silicon Valley VC world that he had done the research. He knew I was interested in education and ed tech. And so he kept emailing about different companies and what do you think about this market and have you considered it from this perspective? And and it was effective. I started putting him on. You know, I emailed other people in venture and I said, hey, have you talked to this guy? We don't have a role open, but, you know, he has some interesting thoughts on this space. You should chat with him. 
And hey, have you, you know, I started sending him positions of roles when I heard about them. Hey, you know, have you, have you looked at this? And, and, you know, he was a, a black guy from the South in a really small town. And, and, and he successfully created access where there was none. And then there was a multiplier effect where he really said, Hey, what, who else can you introduce me to? Who else can you, um, you know, what other opportunities can you send to me? And, and that was super effective. So that would be kind of my advice of, you know, getting into venture is that first piece, there's a lot more to do, but that first piece is really about creating access if you don't have any, or just, you know, if you have it, great. <laughs> You're well off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of companies you mentioned about, you know, the challenges or potential challenges or opportunities that exist as a woman of color. Um, a lot of companies are working towards, you know, focusing on diversity, equity, inclusion, um, putting efforts in that direction. My company where I work at as well also um, has been doing a lot around that as well as um, workshops around unconscious bias and things of that nature. Are you seeing that um, in the VC world as much as far as efforts to try and um, illuminate those those issues and those challenges for folks or or is it something that ha- we haven't they haven't reached that level of um, self-awareness? Maybe not the right word, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was a huge explosion of interest after George Floyd's murder earlier this summer. And there were a, there was a phrase that became very popular in the venture capital community, which was make a hire, send the wire, which is was kind of like, let's not just talk the talk, let's walk the walk, like go ahead make the hire, make your team more diverse and send the wire in order to invest in a founder of color. And so there was actually a really big explosion of activity. There were a lot of new funds that were created around focused on diverse founders. And there was also a lot of hiring activity at funds across the valley to hire their first diverse investment hires. So that was really promising. There were also a lot of, you know, SoftBank started a new $100 million fund focused on black investors. Um, there was uh, stuff that Google did with their new fund. Uh, there was a bunch of new first-time emerging fund managers that launched new funds. Uh, my firm did something. I launched a, a, a new iteration of our existing scout fund, all focused on diverse uh, investors, diverse angel investors. So there was a bunch of activity that was happening. There was also a, a clause that went around in the, essentially when we sign deals, when we sign term sheets, you know, founders started putting in this clause saying, you know, we want to talk to the, the person who's investing into, into us, the VC firm about their diversity efforts and initiatives before we, you know, fully ink the deal. So it became kind of also a negotiating point that they aligned. And on top of that, I also saw another type of diversity clause where uh, founders would say, we want to have at least one diverse investor on our cap table after this funding round. And so it was really great to see all of this activity. Um, And I actually, I think this is actually in many ways much better than diversity uh, kind of training, implicit bias training. That's all very good and well and helpful. Um, but I saw something earlier today that said, you know, the ref- the revolution will not be implicit bias training. Um, it will be when we fully change 
the status quo of ownership and wealth and representation. And so I am really focused on how do we change those metrics fast. And I actually was, I'm pretty proud of the VC community's reaction to this specific instance. There's still a lot more that the VC community could do overall. Right. No, those are really, that's a, that's a lot of amazing work. I wasn't as familiar with that. Um, that's, that's really powerful. I think it is important for companies in general um, to really put your money where your mouth is. Um, I know I've seen a lot of, a few um, companies where their CEOs or COOs are stepping down and saying, look, fill my position with a person of color to actually put that into mm-hmm. practice besides just, um, you know, yeah, like you said, diversity inclusion efforts and events and trainings are great. And it's a good starting point for folks. And I think um, they definitely have their place. But I think putting your money where your mouth is and actually putting people because there are there are always a wealth of qualified people that exist that also happen to be um, people of color or from underrepresented groups. So good to see that VCs doing that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I was going to say on on that thread, I mean, the you know, they talk about allyship not being something that's a performative act, but really you should think of yourself as an accomplice and getting into that good trouble, you know, that um, was so famously said. And and I think that with something that people really need to realize is being an accomplice in driving for equality and inclusion really means changing your day-to-day life, your day-to-day habits, your day-to-day mm-hmm. world in order to expressly include someone else that has not been included, you know, and, and sometimes it can go to the extent of, as you talked about with the CEOs or the board members who steps down and said, fill my role with someone diverse. Sometimes it can go to the extent of, uh, you know, taking away your own personal quote unquote gain or status and putting that aside so someone else can step in. Alexis Ohanian did that with allowing Michael Seibel to step into his board seat at Reddit and, I mean, that was one of the most powerful acts that came out of the post-George Floyd movement because it was really mm-hmm. um, selfless. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. That transitions us really well into some of our next discu- discussion you've already alluded around in this post-George Floyd era, which is, which is I think, has become a major um Hopefully, if we look back long term, we can say turning point, but at least a fence post as it stands for the for the Black Lives Matter and this kind of new era of civil rights and and everything. Um, but what's interesting and challenging, and I'm curious to get your thoughts and how you're managing around this, is there's a lot over the last, I would say, close to 10 years since as early as and probably earlier, so apologies if I, I miss names, but from Trayvon Martin, you know, Tamir Rice, the the names upon names, Sandra Bland, and I'm and there's you know many in between um, that I know, Orlando and now Castile. even Orlando Ca- Orlando Castile, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, layers on layers of names on names and hashtags, um, and how challenging that has been 
Um, and I think especially in this COVID layered Black Lives Matter, everyone's sheltered in place. So the distractions of getting to a sense of normalcy are even more challenged. And I'm just curious on how you are managing um, and and how you're feeling and and how you're managing kind of that grief, this kind of almost steady state of grief over the last few months and years. Yeah, it's been a long, it feels like it's been a long time and I've only been on this earth for, you know, a little over 30 years. So um, it's, it, you know, yeah. kind of, it, it, it stretches back for centuries and even sure. longer than that. Um, sure. And I think that, you know, it, it has been really tough, but I was enlightened this time that somehow this time felt different. And I think it's because for the first time, everyone was not able to distract themselves with their daily life and the pain yeah. and the grief that the black community typically feels when these, you know, incidents have happened time over time again over the last 10 years. And many of them caught captured on videotape with very clear, you know, kind of understanding what happened for the first time. It felt like in many ways, like America saw this and, the video was so clear to the broader America and they couldn't look away and they couldn't not grasp and grapple with, you know, what was happening. And so for me, it just felt totally different in that in all the other, you know, mass, um, in all the other times where there's been mass protest after uh, a shooting of a unarmed black person and black lives matter hashtag, and, you know, all that has been done before I really felt like I was doing it alone and alone, meaning with the black community, but alone at work, alone in, as we talked about before, many of these spaces that I'm in that where there's no other people of color. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually, you know, talked about this a, a year ago where um, before all of this was happening, how, you know, when the Philando Castile stuff happened in 2016, I was at work and I remember or was maybe it was 2015 feeling just so alone. Like I wanted to go home. I couldn't work the rest of the day. My brain was fried. It really wears on you emotionally to the point that you can't even do your work. Every little typing of an email and responding to a call feels purposeless. And why should I possibly be doing this when people, my people are out there dying? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was interesting in that I think it, it felt like everyone else felt that same feeling maybe to different extents, of course, but they, everyone felt that and everyone was distracted from work and everyone wanted to do something and no one could focus and we couldn't take our eyes off it. So, so I felt that was, was very different. And I don't want to say I was, you know, encouraged, but I was, um, I was, I was pleasantly surprised and hopeful for humanity that there was that much of a response to it this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think I think it is critical. So of all the negatives that COVID-19 has brought us of, you know, we're both sheltered in place, minimal places we can go and all of those things. And the people have been dealing and grappling with the illness, those who have passed away from it. The one like if I could call it a bright spot has been the ability for people to focus on these kind of incidents in a way that hasn't been able, hasn't been as easily able for folks who aren't within 
the African-American community or other people of color who kind of align themselves with the with these movements and the Black Lives Matter. It's just it's one of those things. There's nothing else physically going on for a lot of people, especially during that time where people were at heavy level. Some things are opening up now and all this kind of stuff in parts of the country. But people were forced to look at it. And it was such a well-documented case. It was such a clear this is not okay kind of context. Um, like regardless of what he was accused of, like it's not okay to put your neck, your knee on someone's neck with the, your full body weight for, I think it was eight and a half minutes. It's not okay. It's just not. And it was something that was very clear and not, not, not any way debatable. to really contest. It wasn't debatable. There have been other cases, which I would say have also been not debatable, but you could see, okay, if I put on my devil's advocate, you could see, okay, maybe it's unclear because of where we started the video, but given how long that it went on. Um, yeah, so I think it is something that is different. And I think the biggest thing, not only just from the actual act itself, but the response has been so, so different than any of the others um, that have happened before, as far as what actual actions companies are taking and things that are happening. Um, so I think it is pretty amazing in a, in a good way um, of, of the time in which we are. The, the key will be about how can we affect those continue to affect and it's not on and the other thing i had a discussion with and and people have said it in various forms but it's not on people of color at this point to to make the changes and to be kind of those mm -hmm. allies and to 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 inform and things like that it's on and i think rightfully so it's on the majority population being the you know caucasian people um, overall, uh, or the people, yeah. the people who hold power um, to really make and affect those changes. And I think that we're starting to see some of that. And the question will be, how long um, will it take for those things to actually see some fruitfulness? And some places it's happening more quickly than others. And hopefully we can continue that. But for me, I know it's challenging. I really struggle with avoiding watching any of these videos like I really can't for my mental health handle watching these and I know there's a lot of people yeah. who go and really can watch it and really is important them to see the evidence of it all and I just I after a while I've watched the Philando Castile I think was probably the last video that I've actually watched with any length of time mm. I, I I watched enough clips of the George Floyd to really get it, but I couldn't, I just, for my own mental health, I really can't sit and consume that and, and absorb that into my consciousness. Um, yep. um, it's just a lot, just the only way, because it continues to happen. If this was one time over the last, you know, decade that anything like this had ever happened, then that would be different. But because it continues to happen over and over and over and over, there's a point in which you're like, you know what, I need to not see this in order yeah, to be able around. to work every day and be a functional human being. So yep. negative news overload is real. I mean, it, yep. it's, it's, we're experiencing a form of almost PTSD, you know, I don't yep. want to say that lightly, but with so much exposure to trauma, I mean, they talk about this all the time for people who are the workers that, you know, monitor social media sites, 
and you have to constantly take down all of the terrible videos that are online, those people burn out at their jobs after, you know, six months and then have to have therapy for years afterward for everything that they've seen. And, you know, we're, this is not our full-time job to be watching these, but this has been happening for decades over our life. So I completely understand what you mean. I, I feel the same way. I feel like I can't watch more of these videos sometimes because it's just too traumatic and it brings back up all of the other times. And then you just dive into this deep, like, well, what if it was, you know, me and the, and like I thought about with Philando Castillo, I remember like thinking, what if it was, I was the girl in the backseat and that was my dad or brother. And what if, you know, that was my son that I, you know, you just think through all these things and yep. it just hurts too much. You got to stop. So then yep. you go and I ended up going, okay, great. How do we solve it? You know, my yeah. uh, type A action oriented mind comes on. It's just not going to watch it. Let's solve it. What do we do next? Yep. But it's, yeah, it's very painful. For sure. Speaking of, as we delve down this deep valley that now we've gone into to painful things, ah, the loss, the most recent loss, we're recording this on September the 2nd, and um, I believe it was August the 28th that the world learned that Chadwick Boseman um, died from complications resulting from his um, battle with um, colon cancer. And I know I was very, you know, these days with all the like fake news and not to use fake news lightly as a term, but with all the, you know, these celebrity death stuff that comes out and they'd be like, no, I'm still alive. Like Betty White has died like 30 times over the last five years. Like she's dead. She's like, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm alive. I swear. <laughs> so when I saw it, I was kind of like, uh, I had to check. My yeah, first thought was like, was there's. Real. I didn't think it was real. And I was like, my first thing with any of these celebrity deaths and, you know, people do pass away because life happens was like, let me check a couple, you know, news sources like Washington Post, CNN, Mm -hmm. a couple places. And I was like, oh, my God, it's real. And I just feel and I'm still like, I think I don't I think earlier today was the first time I was able to actually like really feel it because I just feel and I didn't know him, which is always like in. You step outside of yourself and you're like, you don't really know this person. How can you grieve so right. much about it? But it's like at the same time, he meant so much. And I think learning more and more about how much he impacted people beyond the roles that he mm-hmm. played and just like the little stories that people have. I was watching There's these uh, comedians that I follow, follow on um, on social media and things and they have a podcast and they were talking a bit about it. Um, And one of the ladies, um, she goes by that chick angel and she was talking about, they live out in LA. Her, her, one of her friends is very close to that family and the Bozeman's. And so she's met Chadwick a couple of times and one, they were at this friend's kid's birthday or something. And he was like super nice, very chill. Um, actually she was there with her like twin kids and he was like helping with trying to wrangle the kids because she was like there without her husband for for whatever reason and so she's like trying to wrangle two kids and he was just very like down to earth like okay I got this one you got that one so like those moments where you're like someone who's you know he's Chadwick Boseman he's you know he at that time had done 42 he had done um the James Brown movie all this kind of stuff so he's like a celebrity right someone 
of such high regard professionally and just being such a, a caring person. And I just think it's really crazy slash amazing that we had no idea that for four years this this man had been battling colon cancer and like at such a young age like 39 think about it he was 43 four years ago you seem 39 maybe 38 even but 39 years old that's you know hop skip and jump for you and i's age like to to deal with that and not and that kept so close to the vest within their mm-hmm. close unit. It's just so heavy. And I think, as we talked about with the coronavirus stuff, I think it just hits a little different because there's not that distraction mm-hmm. um, for you. So I'm just curious on on your end how you're how how you found out, how you're dealing, what does it mean to you? Kind of some a little bit about that. Yeah, Monique, everything you said, I mean, resonates so much. That would hurt in in a way that you didn't expect it to the exactly what you said you're like I don't know this person like I wasn't a huge Chadwick star but it's so it's just the way it all went down and the way exactly not knowing that he was fighting for all this while he was giving us the performances of his life he was going through his own biggest story of his life it's tragic and not to use the word tragic lightly but it's it's straight out of you know, Shakespeare or Greek uh, mythology in terms of how people have this other thing happening in their life and, and they're just pursued and to propel greatness. And, and, and it was so much of what we needed. It felt like, the I mean, for all the reasons everybody knows that Black Panther was such a huge success in the box office, it was the top 10 grossing film at the time. It was, you know, the first time that our, our culture had been displayed so beautifully. It had so many ties. It brought together the entire diaspora. It brought together Africans and Black Americans and the rest of the diaspora in such a, a beautiful way. And for that person to be gone, you're, it's kind of like it's our superhero. Um so yeah, I I was I was very moved by it in similar ways that I did not imagine. And I remember reading I, I read his over the text of his commencement speech to Howard several times, watched the video dozens and dozens of times, and really took away that you know, he was so purposeful with what he was doing. He knew that this was happening. He pushed himself to achieve these milestones and to fulfill mm-hmm. the reason he was here on earth before he left. And and it's just so inspirational. You sit there, and I know there were tons of people, you know, I talked with over the past few days of, wow, do we know our purpose as well as he knows his are we so singularly driving toward it and focused on it? And will I have that type of legacy? Not that it will I have a Hollywood entertainment legacy. I won't. Um, but, <laughs> well, let's be clear. I work in a much more boring industry. Um, but, you know, will I will I have a impact? And really the question of can you have such a big impact if you don't know what you're driving forward? and you're not so singularly focused on it and if you're not willing to sacrifice to the level he sacrificed you know giving up the last few years of being with your family every single day so that you can shoot and film and all of these things 
he he sacrificed his his own time and well-being i mean bulking up slimming down bulking up again for those roles it was it was not just you know emotional sacrifice it was actually physical sacrifice when you're going through mm-hmm. chemo and surgeries like he actually put additional stress on his body no, mm-hmm. doctors don't recommend that and no, so yeah. you know it's it, it's kind of crazy when you unpeel and unpack all the layers to it and just realize that this was his life's work and he was so singularly focused it was it caused me to be strangely perspective in a way that I hadn't really been introspective about my purpose potentially ever. I mean, I've taken many classes on what is your purpose, spoken with many business leaders, read many books, you know, all of that. This taught me a lesson about purpose far greater than anything else has in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think if anything, um, as a lesson for Chadwick's life and how he lived based on, you know, this, my, this is of course my viewpoint of what we can see is that he was so deliberate, as you stated, like very deliberate on the roles he took, the ability and, and, you know, making room and places for people. Example was, um, one I saw a video of about on some film that this guy, a person of color that was supposed to be just an extra, his chauffeur in, I want to say it was James Brown, but it could be another movie, but he played his show, the, this guy that was supposed to play his, just a chauffeur and just not having lines. He advocated for him with the director to say, you know, that this, that give this character a line, give this something. And that totally changed that person's life. So being, being that person to open doors for other people, I, I like, I, I think that's what I've gathered from his life is to be grateful because people talk about how down to earth and wonderful and just this calm, quiet force that he was. And just hopefully that I can do that in my life, in my lane. Right. I'm not also going anywhere near Hollywood, but to open doors for people where I can, if there's an opportunity to give people a chance. And you, know, you mentioned doing that in VC as well. And then working hard, like there are no excuses of I'm tired. I mean, not that like you should respect your own physical and mental health to be clear, but to push when instead of easily giving up or easily slowing down to push a little bit further because he did it on the regular for us, for the greater consumption, for the black community, for the wider community. So to also push myself in places that'll hopefully make an impact so that if there's anything positive, I would say out of, out of his life and what we've been able to consume is to thank him for his, like you mentioned, his sacrifice. It doesn't make, yeah. you know, for his family doesn't, you know, solve anything, but I think it's just an important lesson that people care. And I think thankfully people, I think recognize and really have absorbed and shown such love for him. And hopefully that his family is receiving that feels that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I went into the week like, wow, I really need to crush it. (laughs) I need to be so focused. I need to be deliberate. I need to work harder. I needed, you know, I need to sharpen the focus 
I need to be super clear on what I'm here to achieve and what my purpose is. And and we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the call. And I, it really renewed and reinvigorated my sense of, you know, startups being one of the largest engines of new economic activity in the U.S. A lot of people don't um, know, but VC-backed startups uh, account for 20% of the new job creation in America every year. Not total job creation, but of the new job creation. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about that, I mean, that's huge economic impact, you know, impact. And I, I just am even more inspired by Chadwick and his legacy to try and ensure that underrepresented people and people of color share in that economic opportunity and in that growth of wealth that's happening. So, yeah, I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up. It was, it was, he, he is such an inspiration. His life was such an inspiration and I'm just continued to be odd in awe. Absolutely. Well, on that uplifting note to kind of round us out, um, thank you so much. Do you have any things you want to share with the folks, anything you want to promote, plug social media, whatever, before we end this today? No, I'm on, uh, well, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, Merce Ben, M-E-R-C-E-B-E-N-T. And um, Monique, my cousin, she's badass. Love her. <laughs> I We live an hour away and I haven't seen you in months. I know. I want to see it's, you soon. <laughs> it's the Rona. It's the Rona. So we'll have to figure something out. We have to do like a, I think we might try and do a cousin's game night or something. We have to figure out like a virtual game night. Like oh, all fun. kinds of game emulators yeah. or something. But yeah, thank you so much for joining me, Merce. Um, really great having you. Fantastic insights and really great. I think this is going to be one of the best episodes yet. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I love this podcast. I love how you get into deep, serious topics with people. So I was so honored when you asked. Um, thank you again, Monique. For sure. And we'll definitely probably try and have you back. Keep you Keep your schedule loose as able. I know you're always world traveling on us. All not the, anymore. All <laughs> not, in the, not in the post-COVID life. Oh. Nope. Nope. All good. But thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thanks, Monique. Wow, that was a really powerful episode. So I want to thank Mercedes for joining me again And uh, please reach out to her if you know people who may benefit from um, the VC space, you know, people at startups, especially in some of the interests um, that she's um, pursuing. I will include link to her uh, venture page on Lightspeed so that you can kind of see a bit more about, you know, kind of her thesis around what she's investing in. She talked a bit about it in this episode, but just so that folks have that information. As always, um, please feel free to share this podcast, this episode with people you know, uh, people you don't know, strangers, friends, enemies, anyone in between if you really like what you listen today. You can find us, of course, on social media. We are at The Victory Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
So please check us out there to keep you up to date on the latest and greatest. And as well, you can join our email list on thevictorypodcast.com so you can get notified when we post new episodes. Also subscribe. Uh, We are on pretty much every platform that hosts podcasts. So whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. If you go to thevictorypodcast.com, there's a tab around where to listen so you can access the various places where we're hosted and subscribe right there. I encourage you to follow, subscribe uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll end this episode like I do every episode. Every problem has a solution. It's whether we're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.